In, in the Bible, most people, apart from Samuel, pro probably Samuel's the only one I can think of, most people that God uses to do things have to put something down to pick up the call of God. And I knew that I was putting something down. And the something that I was putting down was the right to control my own life. Um, so that if I was going to say yes, I didn't necessarily know where that yes was going to take me. Hey everyone, it's Leash. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today we're sharing a conversation Jason had with Pastor Phil Can. Jason, for those who might not know Phil, can you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, thanks Leash. I'm really excited to have Phil because Phil made a huge impact on my life as a teenager. I think there are these people that God kind of gives as a gift to the church. And Phil's one of those guys who's a gift to the church in Canada. And always rooted in local churches, but traveling, speaking at youth conferences and events, he built a resource called Quest, which changed my life. And there's probably like a generation of, of people in Canada who graduated around when I did in 2005. Shout out to those who graduated in and around then. And that would have known who Phil Can was because he was serving youth ministry so passionately, so boldly. I remember seeing him at conferences just up there with his Bible and always just so grounded in the word, so funny, but so passionate and always trying to get at what's the core of the message of Jesus. And in this interview, I think there was a sense by which I was constantly impacted by his willingness to try to just speak the truth of God's word with simplicity and clarity. It was a really incredible conversation. I'm just really excited for people to hear it. That sounds amazing. And I know you two covered a number of different topics and themes throughout your conversation, but was there one moment in particular that stuck out to you? Oh man, I think we covered a lot of stuff. I just like hearing him process um, his passion for evangelism stood out to me. I think you, the unique thing about Phil is he spent the last number of years uh, in Saskatchewan and then in Pemberton pastoring in small rural towns. And so his ethos as a pastor where you know the names of almost everyone in the town and you're in the small church and this kind of conversation we had around the, the vocation of a pastor in that context, I think there's something that maybe I'm a pastor in an urban center. I think there's something so essential about what it means to be a pastor that can be lost. And I feel like Phil helped rekindle that in my heart in this conversation. We covered a lot of things, but I think that stood out to me the most. That sounds awesome. Well, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into your conversation with Phil. Well, Phil, it is really, really good to be with you. I have so many things I'd love to chat with you about. And so I'd love just to start by, I think some people might remember this, but there was a very formative, transformative Christian VHS resource that changed my life. It changed the life of a lot of my friends and I'll, maybe I'll explain more why it changed my life called Quest. But can you tell me a little bit about making Quest, why you made it and uh, how that resource fits into your story of moving to Canada and serving the church in Canada and where you are today? Probably you'd, you'd have to explain first to people what VHS is. <laughs> so it's before so before the internet. <laughs> yeah, it almost was before the internet. Well, when I ran Quest in my high school, I had to wheel, you had to rent these big carts. Yeah, yeah. And I'd wheel it into the foods room where we ran it in our school. With the TV on the top. The big TV the v on top VHS and the VHS. <laughs> And like if that thing <laughs> fell, like you'd lose a, a, yeah. one of your classmates. Because the things about that deep, oh, man. right? Like, so no flat funny. screens. Yeah. And, uh, but I remember I got this, so I first got exposed to Quest because I went with my buddy Jared to a local okay. youth group that had run it. 
Right. And they were one of the first to give it a go. My youth pastor, Ben, nudged me and was like, you should run that in your school. And uh, I thought that sounds like a fun idea. And then, but I actually got my hands on the VHS and it was like, it was like six videos in like a bigger box. It was like a <laughs> massive box. thing. I couldn't even fit the whole thing in my backpack. Yeah. yeah I was going to say it was bigger than a, a phone directory, but nobody would know what a phone no. directory is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, tell huge. us about the resource though. Like tell us like, cause, cause honestly, man, what year did that come out? Uh, 2001. So, so nearly 20 years ago. I think that time. what you guys were doing in 2001 in terms of leveraging media, but also a format of evangelism, which was invite high school students. Now, I shouldn't say it's a format of evangelism, a format of youth ministry that says what you as students have to say matters. And we're going to actually create space. We're going to pause the talk to hear you speak. Right. So tell me a bit about the resource and a bit of sort of the ethos and momentum that went into it. Um, it, it came about, honestly, as an accident, one of those God accident things that happens, right? So we did a Bible study for a particular youth group in Peace Port Alliance Church, just outside White Rock, in White Rock there, yeah. um, South Surrey. Um, and then one of the parents came to pick their kid up and the kid wouldn't leave. Hmm wanted to stay in church. Well, it doesn't really happen that often. The kid doesn't want to go home and stay in church. And so the, somebody said, if we give you a bunch of money, can you make this in a video format? Because mm. you weren't DVDs. You could make DVDs then. It was videos. It was big yeah. stuff, right? Um, and so we made it. We had no idea what we were doing. Mm. We were just two youth workers who wanted desperately to reach kids. Yeah. And to give kids a place where they could discover their own faith. Mm. Because there has to be a point at which mum and dad's God becomes your God. And that's the crucial switchover point. Yeah. For, and, and when, like, it's very different for a five-year-old to, to pray to make Jesus the, the best friend yeah. than it is for a 14-year-old to make Jesus the hero of their youth. Mm -hmm. And then at 28, uh, you know, to make Jesus the, you know, he's the Lord of my marriage and my kids and all this stuff. And then, like, you're not there yet, but I am. Like, I'm, I'm at 50 and 60 praying the same prayer come mm. on like save me again like s mm. keep saving me all the time so so like like when we get software updates mm. like if you've got an iphone i mean it updates all the time um and we need to update our faith mm. we need to upgrade it to the place in life the season in life where we are so that was the idea mm. that we could get kids at this stage that they're at to make a decision that's not their parents decision not an adult decision but an adolescence decision um, that this is where I'm going to anchor my life. And the things I believe today, I might not believe when I'm 28, hmm. but the same spiritual journey is taking place. And that was, that was why it happened, really. Hmm. I love it, man. And so for me, running that in my high school, so I was uh, 16 years old. And Skater kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't know how to skate, but I looked like one because that was the fad at the time. And uh, inviting my friends. So I had this this dream in my heart to like, sorry, fear. It was a fear, not a dream that God was going to force me to preach on the cafeteria table in my school. But I was praying that everyone in my school would know Jesus. And then Quest came along and I realized I could invite people into the conversation. Right. In a, it's still a bold, it's bold to do that, fine. But it was like, it honored them, brought them in. And then what began to happen across Canada was more and more students began doing a school with lots of youth groups. I don't know if you have any data on it. Like hundreds of youth groups across Canada were doing it. Uh, do, you, do you ever know how many, how act, like I know Chris Quest was global, but in the Canadian context, do you, do you remember? No, I mean, we didn't, we didn't even have the tools to track that yeah. then, right? So like we really didn't, but 6,000 
6,000 groups used it. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, so. And for whatever it's worth, like Alpha, when, when I started writing the Alpha Youth Series scripts, the folder on my desktop was called Quest 2.0. <laughs> that's a true that's true it was that's literally true. i started because you and i had been friends and we've yeah. done some work together and i felt like you know this because what what did, what how do i put this the videos got dated oh that yeah happened. of course it did yeah that's media yeah but the format in my opinion right now the format is still and the format was like 20 minute videos went through the basic christian faith in a compelling way gave pauses for people to discuss gave permission for people to disagree uh, I don't think anything needs to change about that, but the video needs to change. So I started thinking, what would it look like for us to update the videos? And then we reached out to Alpha, yep. and I know Alpha had an influence in the in the idea of discussion. And you came from the UK. We'll come back to that in a bit. But honestly, the talk started as Quest 2.0, and then we partnered with Alpha, yep. and then it became um, Alpha Youth Series. And yep. uh, and so I, I just really cherish the opportunity to honor you and all the men and women that were involved with making that because today yeah, one point yeah. one point two million people have done nice. alpha youth around the world. Fantastic. And for me, it's just Quest 2.0. <laughs> and, and so I feel like we're part of the same stories. That's pretty special. Yeah. Um, what brought you to Canada though? Because uh, you have a, a different sounding voice than most people I talk to on this podcast. I think it's because it's an English accent. Well, what language do you speak? <laughs> it's Canadian. No, it's English, <laughs> right? So I don't have an accent, you do. That's fair. Right? The so argument is tight there. And I, <laughs> I can't argue with Semantics. that. Yeah, we came from the UK. I was, uh, I was a youth pastor for 18 years in the UK. And then I came to work with Youth for Christ mm. um, in Vancouver. Uh, and honestly, we had no idea what Vancouver was. We didn't even understand the West Coast of mm. Canada. Like we did, it was, it was like, so we're moving to Vancouver Hoover, and people say, well, well, where's that? We say, well, it's over the far side of Canada. So when I first came here, I got this invitation to preach in the Maritimes, mm. right? So, um, and somebody said to me, so, so, so when's that? And I said, oh, it's, it's next weekend. And they said, so, okay, so you, you fly? And I said, no, I was going to drive. <laughs> said, well, well, you're too late if you truck drive. Because uh, just up the road from where we lived was Earl Marriott High School, which was called the Mariners. Their football team's called the Mariners. So I thought Maritimes, Mariners is probably local. <laughs> I didn't realize it was like four hours flight away, right? So I was actually going to drive. And then I had to buy a ticket, an expensive yeah, ticket, bet. you know, because I had no idea of the geography. The country is huge. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just culture shock. Oh, man. Like, just for size, it's just culture shock. But you still build all the houses close together. You've got this massive country <laughs> with all of this room, and you build your houses so close it's together. If there's a snowstorm, it's all just one big we row just, house. We just like, be what's the matter with We just people? want to be cozy. <sighs> we just want to be cozy. Um, since you've been here in Canada, though, I don't know that there's many people that have um, spoken at as many different churches, conferences, youth groups. And one of the things, Phil, like that I just honor about you is I don't think you ever consider how many people you've been asked to talk to where it is. You know, I've just always seen you go, I'll say yes to speak to 10,000 youth in Alberta. I'll say yes to speak to 20 in Whitehorse. And I mm -hmm. just really honor that about you. Um, tell me about those years when you're traveling the most, darting all across the country, seeing youth groups and churches of all shapes and sizes. I guess what I'm getting at is like, what did you learn about Canada in that time and about the church in Canada? Wow. Um, I learned that it's huge. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just massive um, and, and diverse. 
Um, one of the strange things about Canada is, is it's huge country. And if you had that size in Europe, like every nation that you go to, we drove through seven countries in one day when we were doing a trip across Europe, driving an aid truck to the Bosnian War. Um, and so we drove through seven countries and the, the languages change and the cultures very definitely change at the borders. Well, because you have one language apart from the French yeah. parts, um, you, you think it's all uniform, but it's not, right? So the culture shifts. Mm -hmm. The further you go east, and you'll notice this, right? Like, so with the further you go east, the older the youth workers get, mm. right? And I just found that was amazing. Like in the, on the west coast, they're all young, yeah. but then in the east coast, they're lifers. Yeah. They're, they're, they're older, like grannies, granddads and stuff, and they're doing the youth work. Yeah, to, what, else did you, what else did you notice? Like I, 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 the diversity, um, and whether it's youth ministry or church broadly, like what else have you learned about the church in Canada? Because I think the reason why I'm trying to prod this out of you is like you're someone who, as a guest, someone moving to Canada, loves Canada, mm -hmm. champions Canada in its diversity. I mean, that's really what I'm getting at. You're someone who goes, which Canada are you talking about? Because I love all of it. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, I, that's why I, you're always challenging people to see um, the different corners of whether it's the province or even the city. And um, yeah, I just would love to hear more about your reflections on it. it, it to, to me, it, I'm still learning about Canada. Mm. I still honestly, like truly, really am. It's, I'm a foreigner mm. here. And it doesn't matter how long I will be here. I will always be learning because this is not the water that I was born to swim in. Mm. So it's a different flavor. It's like an ocean run, a salmon drive, swimming up a, a freshwater stream, right? Mm. Like it, it can live in both, but it's, it's not, it's natural. I was born in Europe. Yeah. So I still see things through a European context. I, and I'm a Canadian citizen, um, for better or worse, um, for, for Canada, not for me, because it's awesome. Um, but I'm still trying to figure it out. Mm. And, and it's almost like the longer I stay here, the more, the more culture shock I get. Mm. You know, because when you, when you land, you think, okay, the washing up liquid's under the sink, um, my clothes are in the wardrobe, the kids are in school, we're home. Um, but then the longer you stay, you think, that's so different. Mm. Canadian people are incredibly nice. Mm. That's one of the things that, that impressed me, like mm. when I came here. Um, British people are way more, you know, but, but Canadians are just so nice. And that's a great strength and a great weakness. Mm. Um, because uh, nice doesn't stick up for things sometimes. Mm. You, you can be pushed if you're nice. Now, in the end, you'll push back. But niceness, is, niceness sometimes can, can allow you to be pushed in directions you don't want to go mm. just because you don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. And for me, the gospel is offensive. Yeah. It always will be. I was mortally offended the day that I found out I was a sinner, I was going to hell. Mm. Like, and that offended me, but it also saved my life. Mm. And it saved my eternity and saved my family's life. And it, and it changed everything. But that's an offense and it, and it smacks, right? Just and it, and it jars against you. Like, what? You think I'm going to hell? Well, mm, yeah. And that's offensive, yeah. right? But, but if I'm not, then I don't need to be rescued. Mm. So if I don't need to be rescued, I don't need a savior. If I don't need a savior, I don't need a cross. Mm. Right, so, so it starts with this realization that without Jesus, I have no hope. Mm. 
There's no hope for me mm. outside of him. And, and I always think of, like, if, if there's a drowning man and you throw him a rope, if he knows he's drowning and you throw him a rope and he catches the rope and grabs onto it, he will never ask, is this man-made fiber or natural fiber? Mm. <laughs> he doesn't care. He doesn't care if it's yellow, if it's hawserlade, he doesn't care if it's kern mantle, he doesn't care what make a rope it is. He's grabbing it because it's the only thing that will rescue his life. And what I find in Canadian culture particularly is most people don't really think that they need rescuing that badly. Hmm. They're so nice. Yeah. Right? I'm not that bad. Mm -hmm. I'm not like these people. I'm not. And you think, hmm then I'm not really convinced you're gripping hold of Jesus as tightly as you need to. Mm. And, and maybe you don't like the Jesus that was thrown to you. If you're a drowning man, you don't care. Mm. And I was a drowning man, right? So I'm grabbing hold as hard as I can. <laughs> Tell me the story of how you came to know Jesus. Uh, I was probably 21-ish, 22. It took a while to stick. Yeah. Um, we often have goes at becoming yeah. followers of Jesus. And I started and failed a few times. Um, but it stuck when I was 21, 22-ish. Uh, we, we'd gone to church all our lives. My parents were not... They became real Christians when I was 16. Okay. But, but by then I'd sort of taken a job that took me away from my home. Um, so I was sort of living away from home when I was 16, uh, doing an apprenticeship as a tradesman. Um, and then... Uh, just had this encounter with God that scared the tar out of me. Truly scared the tar out of me. Were you in the context of like a church service or? Yep. And yep. tell me about it. Um, if you read in Corinthians, it says if, you, if, if an unbeliever walks into a, a building and everybody's prophesying, the secrets of his heart will be laid bare and he'll fall down saying God is truly among you. And that's exactly what happened. I went into this church service and somebody read my mail. Wow. Like really did, mate. Like not not general stuff. Like you got up this morning and shaved. They described stuff that I'd said and done wow. in intimate detail, and uh, um, it scared the <laughs> like like really did. Mm. It wasn't a it wasn't a fluffy Jesus moment. Mm. It was a oh dear God, I'm gonna die moment. That was that was what it was, and it kept me awake for three days. Literally kept me awake for three days. Wow. When did you realize that you were, um, uh, I want to use the word called. Yeah, when, do you, when did you feel like you were called to be a, like a preacher of the Bible, a teacher of the Bible? Um, is it okay to say I never did? Yeah, that's why I hesitated at the word called, to be honest, because I hesitated at the word called because what I know about you, Phil, is like, that is what you've given yourself to. And you know, there's a part of you that's like made for it. But then I know there's a part of you that wrestles with being like, it wasn't like a career plan. It wasn't no, like a, anything. No. It was just like, well, here I am and I'm going to keep saying yes. Yeah. And that, that was, that was the, the point for me was I was going to keep saying yes. So... Um, because I know where no, where no takes you. No takes you nowhere. But if you keep saying yes, yeah. then you never know what it's going to end. 
Hmm. And that's an adventure I want to live, right? Like, so every time I, I used to tell people when I was preaching, if you say yes, it's like you're pulling on this golden thread that's tied around a fat, naked, flying baby somewhere in heaven, right? That you're, you just, and every time you say yes, it's yes, and you're just getting nearer and nearer and nearer, right? Um, so, if, but if you say no, you let go and you're done. So, hmm. so like I kept saying yes, and and to me, um, a part of me would die if I didn't preach, hmm. right? So, so I'm a tradesman, that's, I'm a, I'm a trader. That's, that's, I'm a spark electrician and a, and a steel erector. So, uh, but part of me will die if I don't preach. So that's why, that's why I say, I don't know if, if I could, I could take you to the place at a camp where I knew that God had invaded my life and that it wouldn't just be um, it wasn't going to be just normal. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm going to get better every morning, I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to pay my bills, and I'll be faithful and do all that type of stuff. But I knew there would be this other aspect of my life that I had to give myself to deliberately give yeah. myself to it. It doesn't just happen. Mm. We, we get sidetracked by things sometimes, and it's, and it's very cultural at the moment, so we want this to happen organically. Um, You've got to work at stuff in the kingdom. Mm. Marriages don't happen organically. They're work. You're married. Yeah. You love your missus. It's but she knows her. it's work. Yeah, she right? knows, she knows yeah. it's work. You're figuring it out. But yeah. she's, she knows it's work. And my missus, we all marry up, right? We all marry up. So, so my missus That's knows it's work. evidence that God loves <laughs> pastors. Because you can always see the disproportionate inequity <laughs> evident in the marriage. Yeah. That's a side note. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. So, so, you know, you've got this, this, this whole thing where, where I, I was at this meeting and I was at the front of this, this meeting and I knew that I knew that I knew it was a Wednesday night at, a, at the first Christian camp I ever went to. Mm. And I was down at the front and I was sobbing like a baby because I knew that I had to put something down. Mm. Um, and in, in the Bible, most people, apart from Samuel, pro probably Samuel's the only one I can think of, most people that God uses to do things have to put something down to pick up the call of God. Mm. And I knew that I was putting something down. And the something that I was putting down was the right to control my own life. Mm. Um, so that if I was going to say yes, I didn't necessarily know where that yes was going to take me. But that was vitally important, mm. and that was the struggle at the front. And it was like, you know, and and that's why I ended up sobbing. Mm. Like, and and it felt felt it felt like I was giving. wasn't I wasn't even giving up anything. Like I can't imagine um, what I was. I can't imagine what I was giving up. But it mm. felt like that, right? Yeah. Give up control to somebody you can't see. Like that's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it I know is. that I know that I know that I know him. Yeah. So. Your preaching style is fascinating to me. Um, everyone's got a bit of a different approach. Um, I'd love to chat with you. I don't know if we'll have time at this one because there's a lot of things I want to chat with you. I could chat with you all day about preaching. Uh, a couple things I, I remember seeing at conferences, and it always stood out to me. One time I, I heard you say, <laughs> I can't remember. I don't know if I'm recalling this story right. It was so cheeky what you did. Might not have been me. You were up there, <laughs> and you're like, it was a real like rah rah conference, All right. charismatic as it were. Okay, and uh, you were went up and 
everyone's like, who loves Jesus? We love Jesus. You know, it's like one of those, you know, and you're like, who has your Bible? And then, <laughs> and then you told them that. not to cheer if they didn't bring their Bible. <laughs> one person out of, of 2,000. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, how do you know that the preacher's even saying what's in the book? Yeah. If you don't have your Bible with you. Yeah. And this was before cell phones. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you were yeah. saying it to a room. So it was just, I just remember it, it always stood out to me. A couple of other things that you did when you preached, you always gave out your phone number. Yep. And you said, so you kept kind of, you kept kind of challenge these things where it's like you downplayed the act of the sermon and you mm -hmm. upplayed these values that are actually so clear in your life. And um, wh wh who influenced you? Who formed, like, where did some of these influences come as your value? Because you're, you're a preacher who, all, you make it fun, you make it interesting, but the value is always in trying to make an accessible approach to scripture that anyone can join with you, let the scripture do the work and then bring it to life. Yeah, where, where were the influences and formation around that? Wow. I, I, honestly, I mean, lots and lots and lots of really, really good, godly, older people, hmm. honestly. Like, hmm. and, and I, I couldn't even, there's so many, it would be unfair to, to yeah. pick out one, like yeah. so many. Um, that always taught me, always, the Bible is our only fixed point of reference. That's it, right? It's like the North Star. It's like, you know, it's, it's your fixed point of reference. This is what we navigate by. Um, and if we, if, we, if we stray from that, um, we have no navigational tools, spiritually. We have none. Um, so the Bible's our fixed point of reference. So it's, it's all got to come back to that. It's all got, all got to be part of that. Um, but you can't preach any of that without any authority unless you're trying to live it. Right. Right. And on my website, it says trying to be a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what it says. Because I'm trying. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living it. I'm trying to live it. Right. I'm trying to figure out how, the, how you take this 4,000 or 2,000 year old book that's an Eastern book. It's not even Western. Uh, it's an Eastern book. And how do you make that work in 21st century Vancouver or Pemberton or Whistler? How do you do that? Right. Um, and, and that struggle, I think, is what gives if, if we have any authority when we stand up to, to preach. Living that struggle every week is what gives you the authority to preach, hmm. right? So, so, and it gives you the right to poke questions. Hmm. And God can stand my poking. I've got a really insignificant finger in the face of God, right? <laughs> so if I'm poking, um, he can stand my poking. And so can the Bible. It can stand, can stand me challenging it. It can stand me getting angry and throwing it against the wall, hmm. um, which I do sometimes. I, I did it, I threw it at my pastor once. Um, and he said, so, so what's, what's wrong with you? And I grabbed the Bible and I cursed, cursed at him. And I said, this book, and threw it at him. Mm. Because it annoyed me so much, the stuff that was written in there. Um, and it still does. I don't like the fact that hell's in there. Mm. It shouldn't be in there. But it is. So I've got to deal with that. And how do I deal with that in a 21st century culture where nobody ever wants to be judgmental of anybody else? Right. So how do I do that? Um, and only if my heart breaks and bleeds for the people who, who that's, that's the only place I can start, right? It's written there, so I, I've got to deal with it. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to figure out ways to deal with it. Mm. Still trying. Today, you are um, 
serving at a church in Pemberton. Tell me about the work you're doing with this church in Pemberton. Um, I am I am trying to figure out how to be a pastor to a bunch <laughs> of people in the mountains in, in BC. Um, yeah, give people context for Pemberton that don't know it. Okay, Pemberton is um, 20 minutes north of Whistler. So we have all the beauty, uh, all the landscape, all the mountains, all the scenery, all the lakes, all the hunting, all the backcountry, all the incredible stuff that God left to play in without having to deal with the cram crowds of Whistler. Yeah, you said it's about 4,000 people. 4,000-ish people, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, you came in as, as it, it was an interim role, right? Yep. Initially? Yeah, transitional pastor. It's still there. transitional? Uh, it's changing. It's a long, as we it's speak. Been a long transition. <laughs> yeah, I've been there three years, which is a long transition. And right now we are going through the process of applying to be there full-time. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. And before that, you were in Saskatchewan. Yep. Beachy, Saskatchewan. 249,000 people live there. 249,000 in Beachy? Oh, no. 249. 249. 249. Not 1,000. That sounds about right to me. Yeah. 249 people live there. 250 uh, when I was there. You know, one of the things that I pray for is renewal and revival across Mm -hmm. Canada. Yep. And... um, I'm here in Vancouver. I feel called to the city. Uh, But when I pray and and dream about God raising up thousands of pastors, men and women that want to build churches across the country, it includes cities and it includes small rural towns and villages. And uh, God's giving you unique access and unique opportunities to serve in that context. And I just want you to kind of take us in there a little bit. Your heart for the smaller towns, the need there. And uh, yeah, just what God has done in your heart investing in that space right um i i don't know when i understood it but i uh, at some point i understood that people in a rural setting don't go to a different hell Hmm. and they don't go to a different heaven and they don't belong to a different kingdom it's all the same kingdom Hmm. um so uh it doesn't matter where i am uh, there's lost people going to hell and there's people going to the kingdom. And I, and I want to be involved in plundering hell and populating heaven, which is, should be a good title for a book for somebody, because um, it is. <laughs> so I want to. Was that Reinhard Bonkies? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Reinhard, Africa shall be saved. So, so anyway, he, he, um, so, so that's, that's what I want to be part of. And, and rural places, I mean, they're, they're not sexy, right? I mean, you know, people want to be around big cities and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but these, these, there's these incredible gems of places, right? Uh, where the where, like in in Beachy, it's a rink town, hmm. right? So like it's an ice rink there. Um, you can walk in anytime you want. You switch the lights on yourself, take your skates and skate. So I learned to skate while I was there. Um, so you can just go in and skate. So they showed me how to put the lights on and, and, and I had to lace up skates and they just let me brain myself on the ice. Um, and, I, and I learned to skate. It was awesome. Fantastic place. But there's, there's an ice rink and, there's a, and then there's a church. Hmm. Well, that, that church is a huge part of the community in a small town. And I think the church... Big C should be the huge part of the community in any setting. So if you're in Vancouver, then you're part of the church, Big C, uh, all of them. And that should be a huge influence on the community. Uh, So like where I am in Pemberton now, um, 
I, I pastor 4,000 people. Hmm. That's the number of people in the town. Now, we got, we got like under 100 in the church, but my congregation is 4,000. Hmm. So while I'm doing my shopping, I'm seeing my congregants. Wow. And I share that, those congregants with me and the Catholic priest. That's the only two churches that's there. Have you built a friendship with the Catholic Oh, yeah, priest? they use our building. Oh, amazing. Yeah, because they can't, so I invite, they, we invite them to use the building because they, they can't socially distance as a group. So right. we, we invite them to use our place. So we give, we give them to nothing, but they, they want to pay and they, they are contributing to us. So it's great. Um, and he's a great guy, loves Jesus. Um, and so we share the responsibility for those 4,000 people between our churches. Mm. So when I'm shopping, and I'm standing in a line ready to go in because you have to line up because there only allows so many people in the store. Um, I'm standing with my congregants. So I'm having the conversations wow. in the line that you would have standing at the back of church. Hmm. Now, they aren't part of the church that meets on a Sunday, but the, I'm still responsible for their spiritual well-being. Do you think somehow the... Somehow we've lost that plot line as pastors to think about our parish. Because that in our in church history, there's this parish mentality yeah. and that's connected to some forms of denominationalism, for better or for worse. But there's, mm-hmm. there's something beautiful about that parish thinking Yeah, um, that somehow seems to be more accessible in a smaller town. Yeah, um, That's really compelling for me. And I feel like that's something that... Here's a question I'd love to ask you. How do you understand the job description of a pastor? Per, me personally, yeah, very definitely not a manager. Hmm. Pastor and somebody, somebody think I think wrote a book about this. I've been saying it for years. Pastors should smell like sheep. Shepherds should smell like sheep. They shouldn't smell like. I know lots of people have said it, but shout out to our boy Sandy Miller who oh, says that yeah, often. Yeah. Often, yeah, he and did, I'm just, yeah, I know yeah. that's a, a person yeah. we both share yeah. admiration yeah. for. Brilliant in common. Yeah, and he can say the most outrageous things, um, but with a wonderful smile. Voice, (laughs) and he's got this wonderful smile. He's this wonderful old uh, ambassador for the kingdom, right? And you just can't get angry with him. He's just great. (laughs) He's wonderful. Um, So, so like pastors, pastors should be around people, and and they shouldn't have layers of people in their staff to keep the people away from them. Right. So and, and, I, and I think going back to what you're saying about the parish thing, I think more importantly, we've lost the idea of kingdom mm. um, and, and we, we build empires, not kingdom. And there's a massive difference between an empire and kingdom. I don't have to fight my corner. I'm part of the kingdom. And, and I don't care which church. Some, like somebody came to me the other day in our place and said, you know, my background is Catholic. And I said, oh, awesome, great. Then go see Father Andrew. Like, he's a great guy, loves Jesus. Like, go see him, go to their church. And they said, well, but we love coming to, to the church on, on the hill where we are. And, and um, I said, well, go to both. Just go to both. Like, get a, you know, get a double shot, right? It's like double, <laughs> two shots. So, so. Like go to both um, because it's part of their tradition, yeah. um, and I don't need to. I don't need to defend that. I don't need to. I, I, I'm not holding on to people for from my empire. It's the kingdom. Mm. If they're in the kingdom, I'm happy. Um, and and it's the kingdom, right? You you seek the kingdom. Jesus will build a church. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God. I'll build a church. Is what Jesus said. Mm. Um, you know, uh, so if we seek the kingdom, he'll build a church. 
But most of our time is spent trying to figure out how to build a church. And I'm pretty sure that's not what he said. Mm. Pretty sure he said, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And then he'll do the building. Um, and, and so when, when we walk into places that, that uh, have desperate needs, um, where, and you're right, it is easier in a, in a rural environment. For me, it's easier just geographically. Um, but you can make a rural environment or a geographical environment in whatever environment you're in. Yeah. Right? I think what stands out to me about that is I think there's a great uh, role reversal happening in the church. Mm-hmm. For a long time, we looked to the bigger churches yeah. to learn. And there could be a cynical pass at that comment, but let me do the most redemptive pass to learn good systems and media mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, follow up, all, like all these different things, like really some really good gifts and some, and some not good gifts as well. But like there's been a, a long time. I think now we're at the point where it's like there's actually we're turning and looking back to the rural context or globally. Yeah. Um, and this is no slam on the States, but there's an increased turning eyes from for years. The U S has given us so much leadership in the church and, and, yeah. and teaching and good Christian resources. And, you know, um, but now there's a sense of looking to the UK or in lockdown, looking to Iran. Yeah. Oh yeah. That people have been doing. Yeah. Decentralized church. Yeah. Uh, can't meet on a Sunday in the same way. Yeah. We're looking to Asia to yeah. understand all of a sudden the pandemic hits. Well, we're looking to parts of Asia where they've been leveraging online tools. Yeah. And, and I just think there's this great turning. And I just feel like as you were talking about the rural context, I wonder if in Canada, one of the gifts we can be to one another is to learn from rural pastors and vice versa. And I wonder if even actually working together could be a great gift where there might be like centralized resource that can come from poten- potentially larger churches, but then that like grounding in the real story and the real plot line of being a pastor. And so I just, I don't know, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's always a to and fro, right? Like we were talking earlier about, about yeah. we, the Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. All the Bible stories didn't take place in a vacuum. They took place. And, and so uh, rural church doesn't take place in a rural vacuum. Hmm. It's influenced by cities. And, and cities are influenced by, by rural areas. That's where they get their food from. That's, so see, they, they influence each other. So there's got to be give and take between the two. Um, one of the hard things in the past, I think, has been when, when larger churches have said to rural churches, um, you can do this, just do it smaller. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's a whole different culture. Um, because they want to know what you look like. They, 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 want to, they want to talk. They want to shoot the breeze. They, they, they're not just driving past each other in the car. They're not, they're not getting their coffee to drive through. Right. They want to spend time at Coffee Row, sitting down at the table and drinking coffee. They, they want to do that. It's not the rush. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think what that means for me then is I have to stop being so task-orientated. Because I am. And that's part of my Europeanness. I got to get the job done. And I got to stop doing that and and slow down to 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 take notice of the people that Jesus died for. Right? That that I that I haven't got patience for today. Right? He died for him, whether I have patience for him or not. So uh, to slow down enough. And me and Jeremy were t- chatting about this earlier, that, that, that maybe now we're actually turning back to in our uh, groups of six 
and the people that you can and can't have in your house. And we're being intentional about putting our time into groups of people. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's what discipleship is. Mm. Um, so maybe, you know, we can learn something in the situation we're in um, and maybe head back to taking our eyes mm. off the, the, the big, huge gathering and thinking like small is beautiful, right? Like it's just, we can sit together in groups and, and do this, right? Yeah. I mean, online community is wonderful and great, but for me, one of the things that our present situation has highlighted is the, is the areas that, that social networks don't scratch. Hmm. Because everybody's socially connected on all the devices and stuff, right? Um, but they're all saying, oh, I can't wait till we can meet together again. Hmm. Right? So obviously, uh, social networks yeah. don't scratch that itch. Yeah. Right? So we need that. Yeah. And, and if our churches aren't scratching that itch, hmm. then maybe we're too out here and we need to just focus a little bit on people better. Maybe. I don't know. I love it. I, um, I'm really impacted by the way you make the Bible accessible to people in your preaching and, um, and your love for the word. And I feel like I would just love to know what you think today in the culture that's changed so much in the last two decades that you've been here. Some stuff is like, maybe it doesn't feel like it's changed that much, but like you've seen like high school students today have no reference point for scripture. Mm -hmm. And um, just as, has, anything, has anything shifted about how you introduce people to the Bible? I know your conviction to teach where the Bible hasn't changed, but how has your bringing people into the story, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, um, been impacted as you've watched culture shift? Man, that's a big question. You're, you're, a, you're a big guy, <laughs> Phil. Not, I'm not, I'm tiny. So I, I don't know, man. I, 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 I like to talk about the Bible the way I read it. Well, talk to me that way. Um, it bothers me. Hmm. Like, it bothers me. The Bible bothers me. Um, like, it keeps me awake hmm. at night. I don't know how we got into the idea that it was a good idea to read the Bible to kids and then put them to bed. Like, it's going to give them nightmares if they have any understanding about it, what's really happening. Um, it's a scary book. And then, so you read the stories and I keep rereading them and reading them and reading them and reading them over and over and over again. Um, and I keep imagining this, this real human being, Jesus, that walked the face of the earth with, with a, a bunch of real human beings of both genders, uh, Gentiles and Jews, uh, occupiers and the occupied. So he walked around in Palestine it's, it's a real event. How did that look and how did it smell? Hmm. So like, what's the backstory behind what is written? How did this take place? Like, and, 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 I, and it's just a fascinating book when you start trying to, trying to picture the scenes, right? Um, like picture any of the stories that, that, that we know, like what, what happened? I've just been preaching about Noah. Um, what happened the first dinner time on the ark when the kids sit there and look at look at dad and say like dad where are we going like we know the answer that if you've read the bible story the the ark is going to land on mount ararat we understand that but who drove it there who steered it 
So like, dad, where are we going? And he goes, I don't know. Well, that's not going to fly with Mrs. Noah. <laughs> and it's not going to fly with the kids, right? Because they've got grad to go to. They've got games to, they've got, they've got friends that aren't on the ark that they're worried about, that they don't know what's happening outside the, the walls, this giant shoebox that's floating around on this water. And, 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 and all the, so like, how long are we going to be on here? I don't know, hmm. is the answer. Uh, well, where are we going? I don't know. How long are we, I don't know. Like, um, so who's steering this? Not me. Hmm. You know, and, and when, when it took off and, and the water came and, and it rested on Mount Ararat, we always think, and you see in children's Bibles, that it f- settles down nice and flat and it's all, but it's bumpy and, and maybe it settled down at an angle. Hmm. And, it, and at that first dinner time discussion, Noah had none of the answers to the big questions. None of them. Hmm. And I don't. Some of the big questions I don't have any answers to. And I'm just like Noah. The place, the place that, that, I, that I'm, I'm in transition, right? Noah's this, this family in transition. And so, so I was here, this despot of a human being, uh, who is a horror of a human, that God interrupted my life. And so I'm on this journey. Now, I don't know where he's going to land me. Hmm. So I don't have the big answers to the big questions. I just know that the world that I left when I became a follower of Jesus is a different place than I'm going to end up in eternity. And I'm on this journey at the moment. Um, and some questions I have answers to, some I don't. Hmm. And I've got to be okay with living in the tension that that produces in my life. And I want people to explore that tension hmm. because it's not cookie cutter answers because sometimes there aren't answers. And I've got to be okay with that because mm. I've got to be okay with the fact that Jesus is steering my life and he's going to put it down where he wants to put it down. Mm. If that makes sense. I don't know if it does. I love it. I love hearing you chat about the Bible and I love hearing you preach it. And um, I love the refusal to give simple answers. You know, I think that that's that model of having an answer to everything has left a lot of people going, I tried this thing and it didn't. Mm. It didn't, it didn't hold the weight of my world. No. You know, it wasn't... Uh... Okay, last question for you, brother. It's this. Um, what do you feel like young pastors... Um, let me rephrase the question. What do you feel most convicted to pass on to young pastors? Getting into ministry, getting going. You've been doing this for a long time. What is that you're most convicted to pass on? Oh... We we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously for a start, right? Like, like, <laughs> but we're so serious. <laughs> <laughs> we we need to stop taking ourselves. I think if we can laugh laugh at ourselves, um, it it just it releases the tension that's in mm. the air, right? Like, you know, I was an idiot for the devil for twenty years. Why why should it offend me if people think I'm an idiot for Jesus? Mm. Like, I don't care. Mm. Right, so let's just just get over ourselves a little bit, um, and then and I heard an old guy once say his name was Stan Hyde, great old man in England, and he said this. He said, "What you do with your mornings hmm. uh, determines where you go spiritually." Now, now whatever part of the day is your morning, because for a shift worker, 
it's sure. a different part of the day. So, so let's get off this. I got to get up at five o'clock in the morning to pray. But there's this there's this work ethic hmm. that pastors have to have because if if you're going into ministry, especially um, if you're being paid, released from a job to do ministry, um, then you can basically do what your time as you want so be disciplined with it mm. um and, and we we push back against discipline because we live in this grace 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 but we push back against discipline so, so learn some discipline mm. like get up spend spend designated time reading your bible spend designated time praying spend designated time making phone calls make um like phoning people visiting people do the stuff that brings you in contact with god's word and people mm. And then don't take yourself too seriously. I love that. <laughs> Do the stuff that puts you in contact with God, His Word, and people. Yeah. And don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. That should be your next book. <laughs> and first book. <laughs> well, I'm working on a book at the moment. When I finish coloring that one, I'll start coloring another one. There we go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out today, hey, man. No I love it. Appreciate your time. Well, a big thank you for joining us for today's episode. We have some more exciting guests coming up on the podcast. And just to quickly name a few, my pastor, Mark Clark, interviewed Guy Mason from City on a Hill in Australia. We'll be sharing that soon. Father Simon Lobo from Halifax is coming up. Damien and Julie Bassett. Canadian author Mark Buchanan, just to name a few. And next week, we'll be sharing Jason's conversation with Mike Pilavachi. Mike is co-senior pastor of Soul Survivor Church in the UK, alongside his friend, Andy Croft. He's pastored and discipled some leaders you've probably heard of before. Matt Redman, Tim Hughes, Pete Hughes, might ring a bell. He's a convicting and tender leader. We look forward to sharing what he has to say on Monday. Now, before you hop off, please give us a like, review, or hit subscribe if you haven't already. And nothing does a better job of putting this podcast in the right ears like you sharing it with a friend you know needs to hear it. Okay, that's all from me. Bye for now, and we will see you soon.